You're listening to The Itch, Rock Matters. My name is Casey. My name is Dan. And I'm Aaron. And this week, we always try to be entertaining, and we entertain ourselves. We hopefully entertain you, the listener. But for this week's episode, which we will get into that eventually, but it's a little bit more of a somber sort of episode. So I wanted to go ahead and talk about, at the beginning of the show, the National Suicide prevention lifeline. So if anyone is feeling down and is feeling that depressed, you can go ahead and call 1-800-273-8255. Again, 1-800-273-8255. And anybody that's feeling down, just know that the world is a better place with you in it. It definitely is. It's interesting to you know, just think of how somebody gets to that point. And we all have down days and bad thoughts, and it'd be different without having one of you two in my life as friends. And I hope it'd be <laughs> different if I was not here. So, <laughs> oh, it definitely would. Yeah. And I mean, that's, it'd be very bad. And that's the thing that hopefully everybody realizes that even if it doesn't feel like it, there's always somebody out there that cares about you. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I've been personally affected by suicide. It's it's not fun to have to go through uh, the because while you remove yourself from the pain and existence that you're going through, it doesn't relieve others of the pain that they're going to suffer because of losing you. Yes. Yeah, it's a loss that you never recover from and you never get answers to. Exactly. And that's that's really tough. With that, we are going to talk about the life and legacy of Chester Bennington, who died exactly three years ago today. To the day of this release. And so we thought this was the most appropriate time to to speak to that and to the things that have gone on since and the things that he was involved with in his time with us. And uh, yeah, just kind of celebrate that and kind of sit and ponder on it for a while. The one thing that I kind of wanted to talk about first is that he, he wore his emotions on his sleeves with his writing. He was very direct and told you exactly how he felt. And, you know, obviously in retrospective is knowing now what happened. It's easier to see exactly what he was referring to with his lyrics. But one thing that has always, I guess, haunted me is that, you know, they always say that there's signs. There's signs that, that, that people are, are thinking about it. You know, they start giving their stuff away, um, things like that. And I just, I know that, you know, it's hard to, to see those kind of signs sometimes when you're in the moment of living. But do you think that anybody ever talked to him about his lyrics or just, how you know, like got a little bit more insight from him about his lyrics? Do you think that anybody like ever did that? I would assume someone had to have because a lot of a lot of what they sung about was pretty dark and kind of a depressed state almost. And I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but that was one of the things that I kind of enjoyed thoroughly about the release of the Grey Days album is that it was almost a, dis a different perspective of Chester. It was almost like a an optimistic Chester. Mm. Yeah, and it definitely is nice to hear newer music involving Chester just to kind of get the, the one more light taste out of our mouth as the, the last remembrance of Chester kind of thing. I mean, how heartbreaking is the, was that song though? Like I know we've, we've had our discussions about our feelings about the direction that Lincoln park was taking as a band, but like thematically the one more light song, like I, I couldn't think of a, a sadder, but also kind of more perfect closer to somebody's legacy as a singer in terms of what he's singing about. Yeah. That whole album was like that. Like every lyric that every song was just, it was depressing. I loved Lincoln park, but like I just didn't get into that one more light album just because it was, it just, like I said, it was just too depressing, I guess. Like I never really got with the lyrics. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't associate myself to the songs. Like it was just, it was really hard to, 
to like the album. And especially after what happened, I, I almost just like grew to hate the album because of that. I can see where it would be painful. I mean, One More Light, the song itself is literally about what we're just talking about. They sings about, you know, were there signs I ignored? Can I help you not to hurt anymore? And you know, who, who cares if One More Light goes out? He says, well, I care like I do. And so it's just so it's like he sang this song that we're just kind of asking just now, like, did someone ask him those things? Did someone say, say those things to him in those times and mental illness and suicidal thoughts and things like that are complicated. And it doesn't having friends and people speaking into you and trying to encourage you helps, but it doesn't always do it. But that concept, it just, it, it just took on such a different meaning after what happened with him. You know, a lot of artists say that writing helps them get through situations. And that's that's why they put their feelings in, in their, you know, they open up on, in their lyrics. And so I guess that was kind of the situation with Chester. But from what I understand, because it happened shortly after Chris Cornell, and I, I from what I understand, the, the death and suicide of Chris Cornell pushed him over the top because Chris Cornell was a huge influence a huge, and a, one of his uh, friends and just losing him kind of i guess set in motion his thought process yeah, yeah and if, if memory serves he actually committed suicide on chris cornell's birthday yeah it was just about two months after cornell died and it was on it was on july 20th you can definitely see that at least the possibility i don't know if it's confirmable per se but you can at least see that sort of trajectory and and how you know losing another one of his heroes and friends could contribute to where it was at but one thing I will say is that, you know, I, I think that Chester opening up like this was one of the things that made him great when it made him amazing because so many people can relate to his lyrics because the world is not black and white. There's a lot of gray. There's a lot of unknown. And just hearing, you know, if you're going through a hard time and hearing the lyrics of somebody who you would think, and I know that it's not money is not everything, but you would think because they have the success that they have, that they at least have an easier life, but that's obviously not always the case. And so it, I think that's one thing that made him so amazing is that ever he was so relatable and his lyrics just touched so many people. And he was not only a great lyricist, but he was one of the greatest singers of our generation. He was powerful. And to, to touch on Grey Days again, this Amends album that was just released by his former band members using his some of his old lyrics or vocals rather. And even then, like he was recording this kind of stuff when he was a teenager. And I'm not going to say that most of the vocals on the album are as good as peak Lincoln park per se, but they're really good, especially for someone at his age. Like you're saying, you can feel, you know, his emotion and his heart in what he's doing. Yeah. I know that Shinoda and, and Chester's widow Talinda have both gone on record and, said that they that they even three years later they really can't listen to him sing i'm sure that part of that is missing the voice of someone that you love but i also have to suspect that another part of that is the lyrical content and hearing him singing about his pain and his struggles and whatnot and it almost seems like it could be like reopening the wound just to hear that yeah yeah you know that said um it's been interesting to see what's happened with the band since Chester's passing, I know uh, there was the big tribute concert they did a couple years back with a whole bunch of their friends and, and other stars and whatnot. And it was a really beautiful tribute. It was a really awesome tribute because one of my favorite parts of that whole tribute concert, there was one of the songs that Chester sings the song by himself and the band didn't feel comfortable singing it. So they played the music and the crowd sang the entire song. Yeah. And they, they shone a spotlight on a microphone. It was like as if Chester was there. And one of the first songs on Shinoda's solo album, Post Traumatic, tells the story of that particular concert. And he's very, very uh, detailed in how exactly he felt and, and the emotions he was going through at, at, through that concert, through that show. Post Traumatic was an interesting piece of work because it's always interesting when you can see something happening in real time. Where like after Chester's passing, like Shinoda and the rest of that band was they were lost 
they did this tribute concert. But other than that, they pretty much were quiet. And people would ask them, like, what are you guys going to do? Are you going to continue? Are you going to find another singer? What are you going to do? And they would just be like, we have no idea. <laughs> we, we, we don't know what to do with ourselves. And if you paid any attention to, to Mike Shinoda during that time, he was just very broken. And it hit him super hard. And so post-traumatic was literally him like working through the stages of grief and like processing that pain out loud in those songs. Yeah. Like just like one more light. Every time I listen to post-traumatic, it, it, it hits me in the feelers too. It would have to at this point, listening to anything that is connected to the band. It's just, it has a, a lot more emotional weight and it, you know, it, that happens. It's uh, especially when it's still fresh, like listening to, I know, I know I saw, I think a couple of videos from Chris Cornell's final show and in context and, you know, looking back at what happened right after that show, those are pretty wrenching too. It just adds so much weight whenever you have hindsight to see what came later. So do you think the band will ever continue Linkin Park? They're talking about it. I think they will. I can understand the struggle. And we, we talked a couple of weeks ago a lot about Alice in Chains and how it took them a while to both recover and to find somebody who could fill a spot in the band without feeling like they were just stepping into a shadow. Yeah. Suitable, suitable replacement. Yeah. So, you know, William Duvall is not Lane Staley. He's a different person. Um, Lincoln Park. I don't see them continuing without another singer. Shinoda. He's a fun rapper and he's a good band leader, but he's not, he's not a solo singer. Like he can't do everything. They need something else. And so I do see them eventually finding another singer, but I think they're going to be very careful to make sure that they're not doing it in a way that feels like they are trying to mimic or, you know, become a watered down version of themselves with somebody who is just trying to sound like Chester. I think that they'll find someone who sort of makes a new start for the band. Yeah. Out of respect to Chester, do you think they would change the band name from Lincoln Park or go on as Lincoln Park? You know, that that's a good question. Personally, I, I'm sure that obviously that's one thing that they're going to have to discuss when they decide that whether or not they're going to continue. But personally, I, I would I think that they have so much success that if they change their name, they would still be successful regardless of. I mean, I obviously it depends on whether or not they get a decent replacement, a suitable replacement like you guys were talking about. But if they find a suitable replacement, then I, I think out of respect to the band and because of their success, I think they would be OK to change their name to something a little bit, I don't know, different. It could be. I, I will say this, and I thought this was kind of a cool, subtle form of tribute. The Linkin Park logo, it's an L and a P inside of a hexagon. And the reason it's a hex, it was a hexagon is because there were six members of the band. And after Chester passed away, they removed one of the sides of the hexagon in their band logo. And I don't know, that always just touched me a little bit. It just, it's, it's, it seems like a small thing, but I'm sure to the band, it was a big thing. They're recognizing like we aren't complete as we are anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely true. So, yeah. And I think that you know, they're also up there are already obviously taking their time. You know, you've got Shinoda's out here doing, doing his own thing here and there. And even, I don't think Lincoln park would have ever necessarily like broken up or ended how they were. But even in the time leading up to his passing, um, you could see Chester branching out more. He was trying to do other things. He did Dead by Sunrise, his side project band, which as a side note, if the band did try to add a new member, I would consider someone from that group if I were Linkin Park, because I think that they mesh well with Chester and would do a perfect job of honoring him. But he also, you know, he had the stint as the leader, as the lead singer of Stone Temple Pilots after Scott Weiland's passing. Which wasn't bad. Yeah. It wasn't bad. It was better than Stone Temple Pilots after Chester. I don't know. Like, I, I will say the new uh, album is terrible, but I, I actually like their, re, like their Reborn album because I think the guy did a decent job of kind of sounding like Scott Weiland. It didn't sound yeah. like it was too different of a, of a band. It was still kind of the same music. It's just now they're, like, boring. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I agree with, you know, I think that, if from ashes to new wasn't so successful, like 
Danny Case is their newest singer that just joined this most recent album. And honestly, everything that he's done, I wouldn't say he reminds me of Chester, but he can sing like Chester. And hmm. like I, I think that would be a great replacement. However, I would also hate losing what From Ashes to New has turned into uh, with him joining the band. That's fair. But yeah, you, you, Chester was branching out. He did the STP thing for a minute. And even the Grey Days album that just came out, it wasn't something that exclusively came about as somebody trying to cash in or or anything like that on Chester. It was actually something that he was in the process of doing himself before he died. For a little bit of backstory, Grey Days is the kind of grungy hard rock band that Chester Bennington was in before Linkin Park formed. You know, he was the lead singer. It wasn't rap rock. It wasn't new metal, anything like that. It was a different-ish sound. And he joined them as a teenager. He was with that band in the 90s, left for Linkin Park. And then in about 2016, he had sort of reconvened with his friend. The drummer of that band is a guy named Sean Dowdle. And they had been talking about basically going back and re-recording some of the old Grey Day songs and kind of making a new album out of it. And so it was something that he was talking about and had initiated uh, the vocals on the album, as far as I can understand from what I've read into it, are from Chester's old original recordings. I don't they didn't actually get to the point where he was in there re-recording stuff to, yet, but it was the plan. And so I think, you know, Sean eventually said he was another person that was talking about how difficult it was, you know, losing a friend like that. And he was like, I, I want to put this out and let people hear it. And he basically was going to do it all by himself and be like, we're going to get the band together and we're going to make this exist. Even if we have to fund it ourselves, we don't need a big label or a bunch of publicity, but we want people to hear these songs um, in a way that would do them justice. And so uh, that's kind of how amends came to be. I'll be quite honest. Like when I first heard about this album, I literally thought it was a cash grab. I thought that they were just trying to capitalize on his death and like, Oh, Hey, we got recordings. Let's, Let's try to make some money off it. But, you know, reading into it, I have a lot more respect for them than what I initially had, because like you said, they were working with him in 2016 on trying to re kind of recreate their original album uh, or the original sound. And, you know, he passed away in 2017. And so they were never able to do that. But they actually went back and they cut all the music from besides his vocals. They basically got his vocals out and built the songs around his vocal tracks. Mm -hmm. I think they did a lot of justice. Not that I've heard like the original Grey Days, but like I said earlier, I, I do think that this was this was an album that like I really wasn't expecting to like because, you know, like I said, I kind of had a, a negative first impression, but it's definitely grown on me very quickly. Yeah, and to even kind of expand on, on one part of chester and gray days kind of getting back together they were going to play a show and they were they were getting ready to schedule it and like two months before the show was was going to happen is when chester committed suicide and when they put this album together they did reach out to bennington chester bennington's family his wife and his children to make sure that, that they were okay with with them using his vocal tracks and they actually also got the permission of lincoln park too by all accounts, it sounds like they really went about it the right way. Even uh, Soul Song, there's a music video to that song was directed by Chester's son, Jamie. And yeah, Talinda Bennington, Chester's widow, she actually posted a tweet that basically called out his old bandmates and just saying how much of a friendship that they had and that uh, they're actually a business partner as well. And he'd known them for more than half his life. So she actually gave her blessing via Twitter before this album came out. If I understood that right, uh, Sean Dowdle, the, the drummer from, from Grey Days, and Chester actually uh, owned a tattoo shop because they were both tattoo freaks. Yep. They loved them some ink. <laughs> and so those guys, they may not have been in a band for the past 20 years, but they still stayed in touch. They were close enough to own a business together. It's kind of a big deal. And so I... Yeah, the more I looked into this, the more legitimacy it, se it seemed to have. And also, it was just cool to see Talinda and Linkin Park and these guys and everybody just like, nobody speaks a bad word about each other. And they're all still so supportive of each other as they deal with the aftermath of losing a friend. 
And it also the album also features uh, James Monkey Schaefer and Brian Head Welsh on the song B12 of Corn. That's one of my favorite songs on the album. B12 is a really interesting one. It's uh, <laughs> I, I was reading about that and, and they were talking about how they gave Chester trouble for B12 when they would record it in the studio because it basically sounds like we didn't start the fire. It's just this like stream of conscious rambling of things. And it's very different than anything else on the album. Yeah. But it's fun. You know, every song is completely different. But one thing that even uh, one of the band members says that Morai Sky sounds like an apology from beyond from Chester in retrospect of the events of losing him. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Which, like I said, it's so weird how things take on a different meaning whenever you know what happens to the person. Right. Especially when it's a tragic ending, like that kind of thing. Like anytime I'd hear Kurt Cobain sing about a gun in any of his songs, because he sings about guns multiple times, it just hurts a little bit. Or, you know, Amy Winehouse died, and one of her famous songs was, I'm not going to go to rehab. And that was a little bit different, but still, it's just one of those things where, like, it still hurts. <laughs> yeah, because the lyrics for Mariah Sky is obviously where they got the album name because it's if i only had a second chance i'd make amends only to find myself losing in the end right it's a little bit of a nine inch nails hurt kind of thing in that song which by the by is just a side note i think amends is a very cool album name in general and then also kind of fitting like you said if it plays as an apology from from beyond then then how perfect is it to call the album amends yeah and then believe it or not they actually have enough material to do at least one more album well, yeah, if they uh, they had two albums originally, I believe. I don't know if they were full albums or just EPs, but um, I wouldn't at all be surprised to see them come out with more, especially if this, if this takes off in any way. They were full albums. They had an album released in 1994 called Wake Me and another album in 1997 called No Sun Today. And so they took kind of they t- took kind of songs from both albums and made them into the newest album, Amends but they do have enough for another album as well as what they claim. You know, after hearing this album a couple of times, I'm with you. My first run through, I wasn't terribly impressed. I was like, you know, it kind of sounds like exactly what it is, which is young Chester and, and a young band. But after a couple more listens, it became a grower, which makes sense because I'm sure that even though that band hasn't been terribly active, Time goes by and you can mature as musicians. And they also had a lot of good guests. You mentioned the guys from Corn being in there. The first song, Sickness, has uh, has some new guitar parts from Paige Hamilton of Helmet. And everyone should be aware at this point in, in rock history that Paige Hamilton from Helmet, uh, he can rock a pretty mean riff. And so that's a nice addition. Um, we got, uh, I believe, Marcos from P.O.D., and they just they had a few a few guests that I think really kind of took the song sort of to a, maybe a new level. Well, and then that kind of adds to the, you know, the honoring of Chester, because, you know, all of those all of those artists were fans of Chester. And- Which honestly is, is one of the things that I wondered for a while if Linkin Park would do, because like we said, they did that big tribute show and it was a whole bunch of their friends, you know, other famous rock stars and rappers and stuff like that. And I kind of wondered, like, will they release an album that is basically full of guest vocalists? Kind of this, it'd be this combination of like, nobody can fill Chester's spot. And also here's a bunch of people that want to pay tribute. And so we worked on stuff together. I thought that'd be kind of a cool idea. They did a little bit of that with like reanimation back in the day where it was remixes of their own songs with a bunch of, of guests in it. But this would be a little different. I've wondered that too, because they've always, Lincoln Park especially has been a band that has always featured tons of guests. You know, just for instance, on The Hunting Party, uh, one of their songs, All for Nothing, did feature Paige Hamilton. They also featured an artist named Rakeem. They featured Darren Malakian of uh, System of a Down. They featured Tom Morello, and that was just on one album. Yeah, and so, I mean, obviously they're a band that's liked and respected within their the genre, within their industry. They've got a lot of friends, which I totally get. If you've ever, you know, seen interviews with them, like, they just seem like nice guys. I <laughs> have to imagine they're pretty easy to get along with. That's actually what uh, the guy you were talking about from Gray Days. He said that like Chester just was the nicest, generally the nicest guy he had ever met. And he just wanted to be everybody's friend. 
and and that's you know that's very rare uh for somebody of that's that much success is usually you know they don't take the time to to meet with people or you know not, not everybody obviously but most people when they gain fame they tend to forget about how they got there it's very easy to do so anytime you hear i hear a story about somebody who remains grounded and like you know a regular person it's always encouraging and even yeah. like you mentioned on earlier that uh i'm not even going to say that lifestyle although that too but that level of notoriety and being such a famous band comes with its own set of challenges for anybody you know you've got you've got the rock and roll lifestyle and all the temptations and addictions and stuff that can come with that you've got the emptiness that comes with finding out that money can only buy a little bit of happiness <laughs> you've got um, being on the road all the time and not being yeah. close to your family and having that support system that you may need. Right. And not being able to go out in public without people recognizing you, which I'm sure is cool for a minute. But when you're at a level of Lincoln Park was when you're Chester in particular, or I'm sure that fame and publicity can bring their own challenges. And, and I don't definitely don't say that to dismiss the challenges that other people go through, but, uh, I think that sometimes people can get a little callous and say, oh, well, you know, you're this famous rock star. You've got all the money in the world and all this stuff. How could your life possibly have challenges? And I think that's a very short-sighted way to think about things. Because, yeah, they're not going to have the same challenges that you or I have, but their challenge is just the same. And and especially if you don't understand them, then just it's always best to lead, with, I think, with compassion and with and understanding that literally everybody is fighting some kind of battle at some point, no matter their level of notoriety or poverty or whatever. Well, nowadays, you know, with the easiness of social media, these artists are more accessible than ever before. And not only that, but they tend to get a lot more criticism. There's so, many, you know, so much more bullies out there because people hide behind a computer screen. They're not afraid to say whatever the heck they want to say, even if it's not how they truly feel. Right. Yeah. There have been people who have ended their lives because of things like that. Not even necessarily people who were superstars, but yeah. just the ease with which we have access to hurt each other. If we want to, it just, it's pretty rough. Yeah. I, I thankfully I, you know, I will say that I had a, I didn't have the easiest, uh, childhood i was you know I was a fat kid i got picked on a lot and i was always down on myself but there was there was a friend of mine in, in college that really i don't even know how but like he just drove it home of not caring about what other people thought and that i, I really do credit that person to uh to basically help me become the person i am and 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 not have to constantly deal with uh I guess not have to care about what people think. That's that, that person helped me kind of put that whole thing into perspective and, and just make me realize that the only person's opinion that matters is my own about myself anyway. And you're welcome for that. I've been waiting for you to say thank you for a long, long time. Um, and so it's good it was, that we could get that out here right on the air. Definitely not you, uh, but wow. I, I do appreciate your support throughout, throughout college. But uh, no, it was my, it was my friend Joe Valenti because this dude just did not care what anybody thought about him. He did the strangest stuff and just had a lot of fun doing it. So I was like, you know what? I want to be like that guy. Shout out to Joe. <laughs> He's a good guy. Indeed. You make very valid points just now. So my point being though, is, you know, it, if you are, going through a time where you're having a rough patch or you're not feeling your, yourself tune out everybody else's voices. Nobody else's opinion matters about you other than your own. And if you need help, there's always somebody out there that cares about you. Um, or there's also the suicide prevention line, as we mentioned earlier in the episode. And if you're interested in a place you can go for further support or to uh, really just promote mental health and, and suicide prevention uh, to Linda Bennington, Chester's widow, teamed with slash founded a thing called 320 Changes Direction. And you can find that at the website changedirection.org. And that is uh, another of the, the many, many resources out there for people to check into and to 
recognize the signs of depression and things like that in others or in themselves and to find help and support in times of need. And that's just incredible that she she's done that because, you know, it's not something she had to do because she's already set by the tragedy. But it's nice to know that she cares enough about other people and, and other people that have had you know families and stuff that are. That are She's trying to do good out of the tragedy. And it's not something she has to do. And that's what I respect so much is that, you know, she is going out of her way to try to still make a difference for other families that are possibly having to deal with this and, and giving them a direction to possibly avoid it. Yeah. I, I always, um, it's, it's a silver lining thing. I, I'd certainly, certainly I'm not suggesting that it's better that these things happen. But when I see people that take their pain and use it, turn it into productivity and turn it into opportunities to help other people, like you see that, you see cases of um, like the families of victims of gun violence or bullying or whatever. And oftentimes they'll pretty much become activists to try to save other people from the fate that their loved one went through. And so, again, it's terrible that they had to go through that. It's an unfortunate part of being in this fallen world, but it is cool when people can can use that as a catalyst to to help others. And um, just as my own personal soapbox for that type of issue, you know, I hear a lot of things about you know be anti-bullying or suicide prevention and and those kind of things. And I think to me it starts. I think to me the way to how do I put this? I think to me, the most important thing is to recognize the dignity of another person at all times and some, and the dignity of yourself. The fact that you were created, you were put here on purpose with a purpose. You are not an accident. You are not meaningless. You are not valueless and neither is anybody else no matter how you feel about them or no matter if you like them or not or anything along those lines. And so I think a huge part of promoting a culture that doesn't endorse things like bullying and a culture that doesn't have the mental health crisis that we have is the understanding of the value of each human being. Yeah. And everyone deals with their own challenges. Mm -hmm. So making things worse for somebody as opposed to going out of your way to to make it better when that's a lot of times the easier option. Yeah. Well, it's, it's easy to sit behind the screen and, and make up stuff about people that, uh, you know, that you really have no idea what they're going through or no idea who they really are. It's a cowardly way. And that seems to be the, the way that people are choosing. Yeah. It's, it's a lot more difficult to actually enter into somebody's pain and sit and experience that with them, you know, to cry with somebody or to just hear them out without judgment or those kind of things. That takes a ton more mental energy and time and it can hurt you too. And so it, it is a lot easier to, you know, ignore, just presume somebody's okay or, you know, sometimes just be outright, I don't know, carelessly hateful. It's unfortunate that that seems to come so naturally to a lot of people. And it's good to stand up, I think, stand up against those things and for the ingrained value of a person. And unfortunately, right now, the, our society views, well, majority of society views money uh, higher than the value of a human life. Or to ignore mental illness. That's a huge conversation and a very nuanced and complicated topic, um, mental illness. But, but it, I think it's very obvious that that is something that our country, uh, among a number of others, but specifically our country, has a huge issue with at this point. I mean, the point, I think the point that we're all just trying to drive home right now in a collective soapbox is you, be a friend. <laughs> if, if someone needs one, be a friend. Be proactive about it. Check in with people you care about. Tell them you care about them. Ask them how they're doing. And, and if you are the person who is in need of help or a friend, reach out. If you can't think of somebody that you genuinely believe will listen. That's what that's what the hotlines are for and, and counselors are for and things like that. 
Well, one of the things I, I will say that I absolutely love about social media nowadays is there's also the groups are easily accessible as well. There's a lot of uh, Facebook groups that you can join or other social media groups that you can join where people are dealing with the same thing and you can utilize these to express your feelings and to find somebody that feels exactly the same way you do or going through the same things that you're kind of going through. That's a great point. I mean, I think that one of the things that gets a lot of people down the most is the feeling that they're that no one can understand them or that they, they're the only person who is feeling this kind of way or has experienced this kind of thing. And the truth of the matter is that there are there are very, very few unique feelings or experiences in the world. The chances are incredibly high that if you're ready to open up to somebody and share it, you will find someone before too long that relates to what you're saying and that has made it through it and that can help you make it through it as well. There's 6 billion chances out there. You've got a lot. It's a lot of work, you know, sometimes. That's a lot of people to talk to. I'd probably stop after you found the first couple of good, you know, relating people. <laughs> if you want to go all the way through all six billion, by all means, give it a shot. <laughs> Learn all the languages. Hey, that's what Google translates for. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, and to kind of also make this uh, more of a flavor of the week, what were some of the other tracks you guys enjoyed from the Amends album? Two. Two that stood out to me uh, was Sometimes and then also The Syndrome. That's what I was going to say was The Syndrome. I, I really did like that song a lot. The single sickness, I think that was another reason why I didn't like the album at first, because it, it's a it's a decent song, get me wrong, but like it's not as good as the rest of the album. I thought it was kind of one of the the weaker tracks on the album, to be honest. Yeah, it seemed seemed like The Sickness, there was something incomplete. Like it was something was missing from the track. So the positive about sickness for me was that it, you can tell immediately off the bat, it reminds you of how powerful Chester's voice is. He's just, he, the man can sing. It's a bit of a hard one to lead into when you're like, okay, I'm going to listen to, for what to most people is new vocals by this guy who, who passed away three years ago. And you, like one of the first things that he says is, I need more. Can you help me feed my sin? Come and kill me. It's calling me. It's just that to me, just hearing the lyrics of what he sings right off the bat in that track is kind of off-putting to me because those are, those are just difficult. They pulled no punches by throwing that one right at the top. That's very true. Yeah. That one was a little bit, a little bit tough. Um, and it didn't get any easier with sometimes. Yeah. And the music video for sometimes really kind of hits home because it's, like somebody reaching out to another person through text and they're kind of having this back and forth conversation, but you're only like the lyrics are Chester's side of the conversation. And it, like I said before, it's, it's to be honest, it's one of the most optimistic tracks I've ever heard Chester write. It is. It's and well, it's hesitant. And no, that and to me, to me sometimes is like the most, there's two or three moments on the album that I say are like the most heartbreaking and uh, that one, I think, may be the most for me. It's because the chorus is, I don't know what to think anymore. Maybe things will get better. Maybe things will look brighter. But he, he ends on the maybe. And so there's like there's hope, but it's not necessarily confidence. Yeah, it's not definitive. You just feel bad for a guy because you just see, you just see a guy who's kind of like left in limbo. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's just really hoping that things change. And I don't want to say that just because of the way his life ended meant that things didn't get brighter for him. I don't want to be that dark about it. I mean, I'm positive that in that 20 years of touring the world and being with your, some of your best friends, he had a wife and family. Things did get brighter for Chester for a substantial period of time. And he, he may have had ups and downs and his depressions and, um, and things like that within it. But I don't want to make it sound like his life was all bad or that everything was permanently depression because the man clearly had some fun and some good times mixed in there too. One of the songs that I liked a lot was the song called She Shines. Because one of the things that they really wanted to do with this album was kind of modernize the sound. I think that that was one of the best, uh, I guess, examples of, of them modernizing the sound. I felt like it was really relevant to today's music. I know She Shines, from what I understood, was one of the ones that had, uh, I think, Head had some guitar parts on that, which probably is to me why a lot of the song kind of sounds like Corn, but in, in a largely good way. 
And so, yeah, you can, that, they definitely went on record as saying that one of our goals here was to take these old tracks and kind of, I think they wanted to make it sound like it was new. And it kind of is. They were reworked songs. And, you know, like you said, they sort of rebuilt the tracks around Chester's vocals. So it was cool because it's like this, it's this beyond the grave kind of project. But like I mentioned before, aside from to some degree, I think you can tell that his voice is younger a little bit. It sounds just fine as something from 2020. I got to agree with you. I said, like I mentioned, in terms of, of the most impactful songs, uh, sometimes was kind of a, a gut puncher and the syndrome was definitely a good one. I love the vocals on the album closer shouting out. And then they, they just, they just can't resist more heartbreak. I don't know if you guys noticed how the, how that song ends, but it's, it's a voicemail from Chester and, and he's, he, uh, he's just calling somebody. I didn't even catch exactly who it was, but basically he ends the, he ends the voicemail with, like it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And he says, I love you and I'll talk to you soon. And that's the end of the album. And I'm just, Oh, don't do that to me, guys. Why did you have to do that? It's like, they're trying to make you cry on this album. And it's just really neat to see kind of the origin of Chester Bennington as a musician. It is. It's cool. I'm glad that this, that this album was released. I am too. And like I said, I was really hesitant because I thought for sure it was just a cash grab. Right. I feel like between this and post-traumatic, it really does feel like you just see the world around this guy healing from losing him. And it almost does seem like they're ready to move forward, not move on, but move forward. Yeah. I think that you see a little bit of that in, in Shinoda's solo releases, which he, uh, he just released the first volume of a, a, we'll call it a project he's been working on. (laughs) It's more something he's been goofing around with. It's called dropped frames. And it's the first of what is supposedly going to be at least three. And largely these tracks, we can talk more specifically about them briefly here if you guys want. But largely these tracks, I don't think are meant to be taken all that seriously. They are mostly collaborations and like ideas that he's gotten from random fans on his Twitch channel. And so he'll just take an idea and be like, I want to make a song that sounds like this or that has this strange thing in it. And he'll just like build something out of it. It's almost like a an exercise or something. Yeah. A, a lot of them to me kind of sounded like they would be tracks from like a video game, like Mario, yeah. pa- Mario party or something kind of thing. It's some goofy stuff, but it, to me, I'm not going to sit and listen to drop frames a bunch of times, but it's nice to see Shinoda having fun. <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I will say that um, knowing that it was a collaboration album with fans, that's really cool. Just that again, he would be so accessible um, and, Quarantine will do that to you. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> but I, I do think that, you know, it's not, again, it's not something that he has to do. And I think that it's just awesome to put himself out there like that and, and to collaborate with, with fans and, and come up with different stuff. Cause one of my favorite, it's not even the track itself, but I, one of my favorite names of the track on the album, just because it's so relevant to the internet is Session McSession Face. <laughs> because <laughs> it's is very internet. Yes, it's basically uh, mocking the Bodie McBoat face that uh, the internet <laughs> named one of, I don't remember, it was like Carnival Boat or something or some kind of boat. And they, they some British company, ship yeah, or something. Yeah. And company put it on the internet like, here, name this boat. And I think the best the internet came up with was <laughs> Bodie McBoat face. And so to see Session McSession face was just, as soon as I saw that, I started <laughs> laughing. <laughs> And there's just some interesting names for songs like Duckbot. Like, what the hell is a Duckbot? <laughs> Duckbot is is Shinoda enjoying himself in quarantine, and that is fantastic. And cupcake cake. <laughs> yeah. That's well, and only only like one track had vocals, and then yeah, the cupcake song basically just had like a Hindu sample or something that just kind of looped throughout the whole song i wish there would have been some kind of disclaimer that said that this album besides the first track is a instrumental album because i didn't know that i was just excited because like i was a huge huge fan of post-traumatic and i i love shinoda i love everything that he's ever done including uh fort minor but i so i listened to the first track and it's open door and like you said it was the first track with with lyrics and like i get into the second song i'm like okay it's a cool instrumental song, good beat. I like it. Next song, okay. All right, where's the lyrics? 
All right. <laughs> next song, like, come on, Mike, what the hell? You're, you're a lyricist. <laughs> Write some damn lyrics. What the hell? And so, like the further I got into the album, the more pissed off I got because I just, <laughs> I just kept expecting a song with words. And you got all the way to the end, booty down, and you're like, wait a minute, what? Yep. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not listening to this again. <laughs> a waste of $8. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> booty up, booty down. Yep. Oh my gosh. Is that real? That's, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to ask. That's the whole song. Um, one, uh, Those are the lyrics too. Yeah. Okay. Booty up, booty down. Okay. 50, Didn't know Shinoda had that in him. 50, okay. Fifty-seven seconds long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's it's good to see them having fun, and actually, the combination of these two things of the Gray Days album existing and of Shinoda kind of I don't know seeming to get his groove back after a period of of mourning and grief, it it does give me hope that that some version of Lincoln park might still exist in the future. And, you know, hopefully maybe a version that we as the itch enjoy more than their more recent efforts. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's hope for that. Um, and I'm, I'm encouraged about the possibility. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, there's, there's lots of bands that we talked about in the previous episodes on a show that were successful with new singers, like, you know, mainly Alice and chains come to mind, but like, there's been a lot of bands that have failed miserably too. Uh, Drowning Pool, for instance, I don't think they've ever recreated the success <laughs> that they would have had with Dave Williams. Uh, you know, there's other bands too, like Blind Melon has tried to go on without uh, Shannon Hoon, and just it just doesn't work for everybody because that person sometimes is so essential to the band that that you you're just not going to be able to recover from losing the songwriter that they were. Yep, bless them for trying, but it just sometimes you're. You're just out of luck. So one one quick note, we don't need to dwell on it for too long, but uh, this year also marks the 20-year anniversary of Hybrid Theory, Linkin Park's debut album. I think it was October of 2000. That, for me as a high schooler, who was, I've mentioned before, getting into bands like P.O.D. and whatnot at the time, was a game changer of an album. And I had that sucker memorized inside and out. I did the same thing with Meteora. They had their remix album, Reanimation, and I loved those things as a high school kid. And uh, someday I would love to share this, and maybe I'll find a way to some like upload it to YouTube or something. I don't know. But uh, something I like to do, this sort of a hobby, especially at that time period in my life, and still occasionally today, is basically make mixtapes, where using the incredibly limited audio editing skills that I had, I would take tracks from albums and try to make them into a coherent flow using like I said, not studio mixing per se. It was basically, I would just chop bits and pieces of the songs until it worked. Splicing it together. I spliced it together. I made an 80 minute album. That was the combination of hybrid theory, Meteora and reanimation. And to this day remains possibly the pinnacle of all of the mixed things I've ever made. (laughs) 90% of that album, despite the fact that none of the tracks and it actually came in consecutive order on the original albums that they're from. I mixed and matched, so you rarely would even have two songs from the same album next to each other at all. Yeah, It flowed so well, and I was so proud of myself as like an 18 or 19-year-old that uh, I just wanted to let you all know how proud I was of that and that sometime I hope to make that somehow see the light of day. I still have the mix somewhere buried and I need to find it and, and bust it out. <laughs> so just to get clarification on this. So you took like bits of songs and chopped them up or you took an album I, and like made a mixtape like a, a super album. It was a mixtape. I took those three albums and I picked because reanimation was a remix album explicitly of hybrid theory, right? Yes. Yeah. I would take whichever version of the song between those two albums that I liked more and that was the one that made the cut for the album. And I just found a way to sequence them to where like the ending that came out of one track matched up perfectly with the beginning of another track, even if it was from a completely different album. So I didn't like hack things to bits, really. There was a couple of times where I might have like, I don't know, trimmed a tiny bit of an outro or something like that. But that was about the extent of my skills. But it, I just, like I said, for, especially as a teenager, I was super proud of myself for that, for my remixing efforts. <laughs> now you got me curious as to what songs you thought from reanimation were better than the originals off of hybrid theory. 
You'll have to find out one of these days whenever I, whenever I post it. <laughs> so I, I don't want to promise on this podcast that this is going to be anywhere, but I will say, I will say check the show notes because the day that I figure out exactly where that is and how I can put it on the internet, um, I will add it to the show notes to this episode and uh, it will be there for you to check out and it'll be a fun bonus. And going back to um, hybrid theory and, and release that, you know, being released when we were in high school, by the way, that makes me feel really, really old. <laughs> um, we're going to be getting into that a lot. 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause like, I remember like working at my first job, which was Fazoli's and working in the back. Cause I, I work drive through and I don't know if this is still the case, but when you work drive through, you're also the person that makes all their breadsticks. Uh, okay. And so I was in the back making breadsticks all throughout my shift when I didn't have orders in the drive through. And I, that's literally, I remember specifically because the singles that came out off of that album were, you know, One Step Closer and The uh, Crawling. And I, I, I specifically remember, like, anytime I hear Crawling, I associate that to working in the back of Fazoli's and, and making breadsticks. It's just like it was played <laughs> on the radio several times. And that's that's like the song I was I was listening to. <laughs> Rocking out to Crawling, all of a sudden you smell garlic butter. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. got a scent association. <laughs> exactly. Or if I smell if I smell garlic butter, I just start singing crawling. <laughs> garlic in my skin. <laughs> exactly. But that was like you said, that was a game changer as well. It was one of the first uh rap rock albums that I truly got into. Um and it, it did open a lot of uh doors for me as well. Absolutely. Speaking of show notes. If you would like to connect with us, you can do so on Facebook and Twitter at itchrocks, I-T-C-H-R-O-C-K-S. You can also reach out on our email, itchrocks at gmail.com. We try to be as interactive as we can. And don't forget to leave five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. And also, don't forget our Spotify playlist. This week, we'll be going back to updating the regular Spotify playlist. A lot of recent episodes have gotten their own because we've mentioned so many songs. <laughs> but uh, this week, we kept the focus pretty tight. And so you'll probably hear Linkin Park, Grey Days, Shinoda, maybe Fort Minor, Dead by Sunrise. Probably anybody that we mention here will make an appearance on this week's uh, update to the Rock Matters playlist. Maybe even a song from Stone Temple Pilots featuring Chester Bennington. Yeah, absolutely. So you can search for that. There'll be a link in the show notes, or you can search for us on Spotify, The Itch, Rock Matters, and you will find our set of playlists there. You've been listening to The Itch, Rock Matters. Stay tuned next week where we discuss Stitched Apart and their new album, Darkness. And until then, my name is Dan. I'm Casey. And I'm Aaron. Until next week, rock on. Garlic in my skin. <laughs>